as need to see disciples being made of the next generation, both throughout the world and here. Uh, they are also getting introduced to Jesus every week and learning about him through the scriptures. So that is a, that is a noble cause. Um, uh, please turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians. As Mark mentioned, we're continuing our series. We're going to be in chapter 6 today. Um, we are nearing the end of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Um, he has spent several chapters at this point uh, defending the, the truth that justification, our righteous standing before God, comes not through works of the law, but rather by faith alone, nothing else but faith alone in Jesus Christ. And this justification by faith, it's born out of the Spirit. The Spirit enables this life in us, not the flesh, not our own works, and it's the same Spirit that grants us freedom in Christ that attests that we are sons of God, the same Spirit that enables us to live a life that is full of love and good works. And so for the last chapter or so, Paul has been fleshing out what this life in the Spirit looks like. Um, it looks like living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, resisting the desires of the flesh which are opposed to the Spirit. And last week we heard some particular examples of what walking by the Spirit looks like. What does that look like in action? Um, walking by the Spirit is a general sense. What does it look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, there's a few examples that we looked at last week. It looks like restoring a brother who's trapped in sin. Walking by the Spirit says, I care about your spiritual good, and I don't want you to continue in this path that's going to be, uh, it's going to cost you. It's going to end up destroying you. It looks like bearing one another's burdens. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Christ, whose spirit is in us, the way we fulfill his law is by bearing one another's burdens. It looks like having humility, not thinking of ourselves to be something when we're not. It looks like being generous toward those in God's church with our time and our energy and our money. And so there's, there's all these examples of what living by the Spirit looks like, walking by the Spirit looks like. And now, as Paul approaches the, the close of his letter, and particularly the close of this, uh, uh, this, this portion of, of uh, encouragement to uh, these certain commandments, to, to, to live life by the Spirit, as he comes to a close, he wants to leave his, uh, leave his readers with, with a reminder that walking by the Spirit really is worth it. It pays off. Paul's goal for his listeners is to leave them with hopeful endurance as they seek to live lives that are empowered by the Spirit. And that's God's goal for us today as well. This is God's goal for us this morning, that we would have hopeful endurance as we press on in Spirit-led love and good works. And so we're going to read our passage today with that expectation that that God is going to strengthen us with comfort and with encouragement to carry on in the life to which he's called us. So let's look at um, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 7 through 10, and then we'll pray for the Spirit to help us as we consider his word. So Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7. These are the very words that the Spirit of God wants us to hear this very morning. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, 
let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray for God's help. Dear God, you, you know that we need to hear these words today. Um, you desire to transform us day by day uh, to become more like your Son, uh, whose Spirit dwells within us. We thank you for that. Lord, we ask that Christ's Spirit would now be active in our hearts as we dive into your word, um, and that, that he would help us to understand the spiritual truths that, Lord, we cannot discern without him. I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us where needed, that you would change us. Lord, we thank you that you are for our good, and we ask that, you might, that we might see more of you, Lord, and, and, and the beauty of your son today. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I was watching a TV series um, about the lives of some families who lived in rural Alaska. And I didn't know there was going to be six inches of snow on the ground this morning, but you can get kind of the feel for what maybe their daily lives look like. And uh, this might be their, their sort of weather a lot more throughout the year than, than we might uh, be familiar with. The series documented what their, what their daily lives looked like, including the very unique challenges that they faced. Um, these families are often very remote. Uh, they're not able to rely on other people as easily for the needs that they have on a daily basis. They don't live across the street from a Walmart grocery, right? Um, some of these people are, are on their own. They're literally hunting and gathering food for the winter so they can make it through. Um, these families have to endure very cold weather and at times tremendous amounts of snow. I remember one uh, one scene, there was this guy who was going out in like uh, two feet of snow, but he was just kind of wearing his, I'm just going out real quick clothes of no gloves and like just some boots and sweatpants. And he's trudging through what I would consider to be, you know, somewhat close to blizzard level. It's like, well, I'm just going out to do a few things. And then when I really go out, I'm going to gear up and, and go. So just a very different life. The winters there are especially grueling, especially again, rural Alaska. The days grow darker. Uh, the, the light is, is less, the, the, you know, that, that darkness is longer, it's colder, and their opportunity to get stuff done with daylight uh, diminishes. You just can't get stuff done when it's cold, snowy, and dark. And so they have to prepare for winter in significant ways before it comes, and otherwise their lives would become a whole lot harder. One of the families had a, had a father and son pair who lived together, and, um, and you know, in this rural Alaska, and the father worked hard, very hard, during the summer uh, to prepare well for the next winter, gathering lumber, uh, storing up meat, fixing equipment uh, that he knew he wouldn't be able to do uh, in the winter. He knew this is the opportunity, t opportune time. I'm not going to be able to do this later. But the son wasn't quite as wise or as urgent as the father was. Um, when interviewed, the father admitted that the son hadn't yet learned the lesson uh, of preparing well now for the days ahead. Uh, the father realized that summer was the opportunity to prepare well for the future, for the winter, and that that opportunity wouldn't last long, that that first frost or you know, the first big snow is coming very soon. But the son didn't prepare well, um, and later he would have to reap the consequences of not taking action sooner when his dad has a whole pile of firewood ready to go for the whole winter and this son only has a third of what he needs, the big snow comes, he still has to go out there and go work now. And so there's this wisdom that comes over this time of knowing that the investments that are made now are gonna pay off later, that this is the opportune time. The father knew this, he was wise, but the son, foolish, not really realizing the actions, uh, the consequences rather of his actions and his laziness 
wasn't as urgent with the time at hand. Well, Paul here in Galatians is communicating a similar principle. And the principle is, is this. It's that the investments we make today in this life will eventually yield returns, not just in this life, but also for eternity. And, and, and Paul, like this father in Alaska who has this, these eyes to see what's coming later, he, he urges others, those, under, you know, those who he has under his influence, he urges them to take heed, invest today with the future in mind. Now, you could be in one of a couple categories today as you're here this morning. You might be more like the son in Alaska uh, who fails to realize that he's really going to reap bad consequences for the decision that he makes today. If, if, if that's you, if that's how you're in here today, God has a warning for you, not to crush you, not to condemn you, but to help you avoid undue injury. Like a loving and a wise father, his aim is to, to better your life, to lighten your load, to help you make good decisions with the end in mind, to experience more joy. Or perhaps, maybe that doesn't describe you, perhaps you're more like the father in Alaska, making good investments, you, you know it's, it's worth it, I'm going to work hard now, it's going to pay off, there's eternity coming, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to follow Jesus, I'm making the right decisions today. But even as you're doing that though, um, even though you're, you're doing what's good, what's right, what's prudent, um, perhaps you're tempted to grow weary. You might think that all your sacrifices, all, all your good works in the name of Jesus, all your investments in the things that uh, are above may not really pay off. Um, you might be tempted to give up, uh, thinking there's really no reward for all the work that you're putting in. And if this is you, God has a word for you too. And that word is encouragement. That what you're doing now matters. That God sees your hard work and that it is sure to pay off. And the investments we make in this life, whether good or bad, will yield eternal returns. And it's God's heart for us today that we would invest today with eternity in mind. So we are going to seek to consider this by looking at three commands that Paul leaves his audience with. It's his final three commands in this kind of exhortational um, part of this passage. And they are these. Don't be deceived. Don't grow weary. And do good. So we're just going to jump right into the first command which is don't be deceived. We read this in verse 7. It says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, on first read of this, this, this might seem like a peculiar uh, command to read. Paul has just been writing about walking by the Spirit, about bearing with one another, about seeing the needs and meeting the needs of others in the church. And now, so those all seem like positive, good, like let's go, let's rally, let's help each other out, let's live by the Spirit, let's see that community come to life. And now what seems to be somewhat out of the blue, he takes a sharp turn and says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. So we have to ask the question, First, well, why, why would we even be deceived? What, what danger is there for deceit? Well, the following phrase gives us insight. So what are we being deceived about, potentially? Or the Galatians, what were they tempted to be deceived about? He says, God is not mocked. In other words, we, there's a temptation to believe the lie that God can be mocked. Okay, but how would God be mocked? What, what does that mean? What would that look like? Well, God would be mocked if people ignored him they didn't listen to his commands, if they did evil, and then they still got away with it. 
If they did that, God would be mocked because he would be shown to be a fool. But Psalm 73 gives us an idea of what, of what this potential mockery looks like. In this psalm, Asaph, the, the author, he complains about how the, the wicked seem to just get away with everything. He says, I'm looking around. He admits that he's even envious of the arrogant when he sees the prosperity of the wicked. He's like, here are, these, here are these guys. They're wicked. They're doing evil. They're taking advantage of others. And yet they're just prospering. Uh, he says, you know, they, they seem to go through life with ease. They seem to be unburdened by the cares of others. He summarizes them in a word in verse 12. He says, behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. And he's going, what, what's the point? That, that, you know, they're, they're just... They're, they're exceeding, um, I'm not. And worst of all, these wicked seem to get away with even mocking God. In verses 9 and 11, Asaph writes this. He says, They set, they the wicked, set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? They're, they're proud. They are thinking, God... God is either not true to his word or he's powerless to really carry it out because, look, I'm getting away with everything. If the wicked really do get away with stuff, if they increase in riches without ease, or rather with ease, and without the consequences for their evil, then God is mocked. He's shown to be a fool, duped by the wicked who, who circumvent his commandments and prosper at the cost of others. But Paul's exhorting us to believe a truth that is hard to believe at times because what we see doesn't always seem to line up with this. And that truth is this. It says, God is not mocked. How so? Here's how. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. This is the truth that's going to help us believe that God is not mocked. In other words, God will surely see to it that all the actions done by the evil will, in fact, uh, reap their due consequence and due punishment. Uh, Todd Wilson, in his commentary on Galatians, says it this way. He says, Just as God has created a world in which the law of gravity holds true, it doesn't, it never suspends, no one gets away from gravity, it's always there. Yeah, when you're out of space, guess what? There's still gravitational pull, <laughs> okay? He's created a world in which the law of gravity holds true. Just as he's done that, he's created a world in which the law of the harvest, the law of the harvest holds true as well. We reap what we sow. We see this principle at work in the, round, in the world around us, do we not? With money, right? If we, if we spend beyond our means and we're racking up credit card debt, uh, on, on things we ought not to be, we end up what? We end up eventually paying a lot of money in interest and, and in those, uh, those statements that come in later on. On the other hand, if, if we're prudent and we, and we save day by day and maybe we invest that money well, we'll have funds, not now. Right now we're putting away funds, we don't feel it. And later though, we're going to have funds in the future be better prepared for later expenses in life. In, in the category of food, right? If we eat... If we eat junk food, I think, <laughs> I think about myself when I was in Louisville, Kentucky. It just, I felt tired all the time because I was eating poorly, so I ate more poorly because I wanted sugar because I wanted to feel like I needed energy. So I was eating Starburst and Gatorade and Cliff Bars. and Terrible, terrible. If we eat junk, which I did <laughs> for 
for a few months there, our bodies will eventually suffer the consequences. In my case, it only took about six months to gain 25 pounds. Uh, so, okay, uh, there's a consequence to this, right? If we eat poorly, we suffer the consequences. If we eat well, we're going to stay more healthy. Our bodies are going to process that better. We're going to be a little more healthy. If we exercise, with exercise, rather, if we're, if we're inactive, it can lead to atrophy. Again, I think about a time when I, I sprained my ankle and um, was on crutches, and, and the doctors or the, the nurse said, um, they said, what did they say? Some basically, like, as, as it's tolerable, like, put weight on it, but I was terrified of pain, and I thought, well, that just feels somewhat uncomfortable, so I didn't do anything. And I got really good at going on crutches and catching the light rail. I was like skipping. I was fast. Anyway, didn't use that leg for like a month. And then I go back in and, and the doctor had to warn me. He's like, dude, basically you're in trouble. He's like, you need to walk today. You need to walk starting today. And to my surprise, I actually could. Um, I just hadn't tried. And so, I, but, but then that, that, that ankle's weak. I feel it even this week. It, it felt hurt again because of inactivity. It led to atrophy. There's, there's a consequence. I sowed inactivity. I reaped atrophy. If you're active, you're going to stay more fit, right? We understand this basic principle that we live in a world where we reap what we sow. But as is the case with money and food and exercise, reaping often comes much later than sowing, doesn't it? Um, I, well, if you think about the analogy of reaping and sowing, it's agricultural. That's something we're probably not as familiar with in this room. I don't know how many people here make their living off of agriculture. I guess maybe no one here does. But it's that same idea of investing now, and later it's going to pay off, but you, you may not know how much later, right? We, um, we, we reap what we sow, but sowing comes much later. Or sorry, reaping comes much later than, what, than sowing. And if we don't have eyes that are bent toward the future... We can become deceived into thinking our current actions won't have lasting consequences. When I think about that, we become nearsighted effectively, right? What can I see right in front of me? I think of a child, right, when, when their, their eyes are still developing. They can see a, a few feet in front of them and interact on that level, but they can't see the mountains. They don't know what's beyond them. They have a very small world. I think also of the song that's by the, I guess... Uh, ska, punk, Christian 90s band. If anyone knows them, Five Iron Frenzy. Um, they have a song uh, where the refrain is, the far-sighted see better things. And that's the whole point. They, if, okay, even if you can't see here, the here and now, if you, the far-sighted, they see those mountains. They see the stars. They see the heavens. There's glory in the things that are further and that aren't immediate, the things that are eternal and not just temporal. The far-sighted see better things. So Paul warns us here, don't be nearsighted. He warns us of this thinking. He does so by setting gates toward the future. He says this in verse 8. He says, For the one who sows to his own flesh, that's now, will from the flesh reap corruption. That's what's coming. Let's dissect this a little bit better to understand what this means. So what does sowing to one's own flesh look like? What is that talking about? Well, flesh refers to the sin-enslaved self. Um, the flesh is the, the natural, old, sin-governed self that produces nothing but wickedness and unrighteousness and that rejects God. We've been reading about how we, we put to death the deeds of the body, how the spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another, right? They are incompatible. The flesh is that that rejects God. And so to sow to the flesh 
is to invest in that flesh. It's, it's taking actions that, that water and that feed the soil that the flesh then bears fruit out of. So what does this look like practically? Well, I think it could look like one of two things. First, it can look like obvious carnality, right? Just straight up greed, I want more, gluttony, excess, unrestrained self-interest, lack of consideration for others. These are heart, pa- heart postures that sow to the flesh. As we, as we decide to give in to greed, we are sowing to the flesh. We're giving it more fuel. But sowing to the flesh can also look a little different. It can also look very religious. And this is a, particularly the Galatians' primary temptation here. I think ours too. This selling the flesh looks like legalism. Striving for a performance-based salvation, or even if not a salvation, now a performance-based uh, you know, continued acceptance by God. I got in by grace, but now, now I'm really kind of holding myself up by my works. It looks like thinking of yourself higher than another. You think, I really am a little bit better than they are. I've got my act together a little bit more. Looks like self-righteousness. Both of these faults, both unrighteousness and self-righteousness, both sow to the flesh. And what fruit is reaped when we sow to that flesh? Paul says this in verse 8. He says that those who sow to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That is, all the investments into the flesh yield nothing but rot and decay. Romans 3.23 says, The wages, the return on investment, of sin is death. And while some of this fruit may come in this life, the ultimate fruit of sowing to the flesh is eternal. Galatians 5.21, after Paul takes time to list all these works of the flesh, here's the outcroppings of the flesh, like greed and gluttony and idolatry and, and lack of interest in others and, 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 and orgies and things like these, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a very big warning. The ultimate consequence for sowing to the flesh, thinking that you can sin and get away with it, that God won't notice or is powerless to act, is failing to inherit the kingdom of God instead of that, receiving God's eternal judgment. Friends, if you are not following Jesus, if you think that God will either overlook your bad deeds, sweep them under the rug, or that he'll accept your good deeds, say, that's, that's, that's good enough. Hear this warning today. God is not mocked. He will hold you accountable for every wrong you've done. And your very best works, because they're still stained by sin, are as filthy rags to him. Our righteousness are as filthy rags. He will not accept what you think are your good works, and he will not ignore your bad works. If you're in your flesh, you will surely reap corruption. There's no way around it. If this describes you, I urge you then to repent of your sin. Repent of sowing to the flesh, of being deceived into thinking that God really won't judge you for your sins. I think in particular, if, if you have been going along, um, maybe for years with the church and thinking, 
I don't really love Jesus. I don't really get the whole point, but I seem to be pretty good, and I'm doing the things, and I'm with the people, and I can kind of pose as a Christian. But only you know if you're doing that. If that's you, I would say heed this warning. It's, it's God's care for you that he does not want you to be deceived. It says, do not, be de- not, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. You may have deceived everyone else into thinking you're a Christian. Um, you cannot deceive God. He will not be mocked. If you are not relying on Christ alone, God will have you reap everything that you have sowed, which is nothing but to the flesh. And so, repent. Turn away from your own sins. Turn away from your own desire for self-righteousness that you can somehow perform good enough for God to accept you. Don't think that. Rely instead on Christ's righteousness, on his sacrifice alone for your salvation, and receive the life that he secures on our behalf and the spirit that enables us to then do good works out of love and not out of a sense of need to please God. Do this today. Don't wait. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Don't find that out the hard way. The investments we make today toward the flesh yield nothing but corruption in the future. But on the other hand, the investments we make today toward the Spirit lead to something far better, and that's what Paul brings our attention to with his second command, which is this. It is, don't grow weary. In a moment, we're going to get to Paul's particular command to not grow weary, but first let's consider Uh, the alternate of sowing to the flesh, that is, sowing to the Spirit. Let's read verse 8 again. Paul says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but, so to the contrary, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. As with sowing to the flesh, we need to ask a similar question. What does sowing to the Spirit actually look like? It sounds good, yeah, sow to the Spirit. Okay, Todd, what does that mean? Well, it looks like everything we already learned about. In Galatians 5, it looks like walking by the Spirit, listening to his leading when he's like, hey, maybe you should go to that person. Go talk to them. Go care for them. Go listen. Be a friend. Hey, here's an opportunity to, to mention Jesus here. This person seems to have some questions. Be bold. Talk to them. It looks like resisting sin's temptations, putting to death the sin, uh, uh, putting to death the, the, the flesh, right? When, when you feel like, oh, man, well... it'll be okay, I'll just do this one thing and and it'll be fine and God will forgive me. No, 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 hold on. Don't don't sow to the flesh. Sow to the Spirit. Saying no to sin. This is an encouragement, I hope, to some. It is to me. Not sowing to the flesh, deciding to say no to sin, is sowing to the Spirit. You You are cutting off that which is going to rot and decay, the spiritual life that the Spirit is giving you, and thereby you'll have that much more energy and fresh hope for everything the Spirit's doing in your life. It also looks like repenting when we're convicted of sin. When we say, Lord, I messed up, I failed again, I made the wrong choice, I didn't love you, in that moment we are worshiping God because we're admitting you are right and I'm wrong and I need you to forgive me once again. And I look to the cross again and again. That is worship to God that is sowing in the flesh and he's going to produce fruit out of that. looks like being humble, gentle, forbearing and generous, like we learned about last week. In short, you could summarize sowing to the Spirit as this, doing good, that general. (laughs) Anything that's good 
If you're in Christ, is sowing to the Spirit. That's what Paul writes in the next verse. He says, don't grow weary in doing good. That's in connection to sowing to the Spirit. And note here that these good works, though, this doing good, this is different, okay, than the works of the law that Paul was so ready to condemn earlier in his letter. I mean, he just bashed this thing over the head for four chapters. Works of law. No one will be saved by works of law. You almost think, well, then Paul is anti-works. Like, don't do works. Don't do good works. This is the wrong basis. Well, no, he's not anti-good works. He's anti-good works as a basis for our standing before God. That's the difference here. Whereas works of law are done as a basis for justification, good works in the Spirit are done as the result of justification. Saying, I've been made righteous. I don't have to try harder to be right with God. I'm freed. I'm no longer under the, the enslavement of either sin or the law, which judges me for being a total screw-up every day. You're free now to do good works by the Spirit that says, you know, I'm not... I'm not making my account in heaven better in terms of God's favor with me. It's, that's full. That's because of Christ. That's already been given to me. Now I just do things out of joy and love for God. And, and with, with the eye toward, he's going to reward all those things, not because I'm good in my own right, but because I've been made righteous by Christ. Good works, if I could use an illustration, good works are not the water that makes spiritual life grow. Rather, they are the fruit of a life that draws upon the spirit of Jesus for sustenance. They are not the water that makes our spiritual life grow. They are the fruit of drawing life from Jesus and his spirit, not from our own deeds. So what sort of fruit do we actually reap when we sow to the spirit? Well, according to verse 9, well, actually before verse 9, if you think about the chapter before, right? Very, very popular passage. The fruit of the Spirit, right, is love, joy, peace, patience, etc. right? That's the fruit. What comes out of sowing to the Spirit? Beautiful things, like self-control. If you've met someone who's self-controlled, that, that is a beautiful thing. If you've met someone who has no self-control, you don't want to be around them, and you don't want to be like them. You say, ooh, that's, that's not what I want to end up like. Self-control is beautifully beautiful. Have you seen someone who is joyful, where even if hardship comes upon them, they seem to have this inner strength, this, this secret happiness, this, this continued, you know what, but God is still good. I think of Joseph, um, you know, in the robe of many colors, right? That Joseph. Um, I was reminded of this through the VeggieTales reenactment of that, if you will. Um, Joe, <laughs> they have... Larry, the cucumber, is, is acting as Joseph. And, and uh, just amazed by the simplicity. It's, it's, it's well done. But of, Joseph is in jail. He's in prison. He's been, he's been hated by his brothers for telling them a dream that God, had them, that God gave him. Uh, he's been sold into slavery. He's been accused of wrongdoing by, um, by a wife who was upset at this guy. And now he's, now he's in prison uh, for no right of his own. I mean, he, he is totally unjust, totally unjustly done. And uh, I'm going to give Larry's version of Joseph's cry to God while in prison because it's just well done. He's just like, hey, God, it's Larry. It's, it's Joe here. He's like, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to do good. But Things just keep not working out for me. I, I trust you. I don't know what your plan is. It would be nice to know. Uh, but, um, you know, um, 
Help me, help me figure out how to, how to continue on and maybe give me some, some hope for what's, what's next. And so there's this, I mean, simplified version, but that's, that's the cry of someone who is sowing to the Spirit. It's, it's knowing uh, joy pervades even in a life surrounded by difficulty. Don't you want that fruit? I do. I want to be more joyful. So, so what else does the, the fruit of the Spirit entail? Or what else do we reap, rather, when we sow to the Spirit? Not just things in this world, though, a sense of joy and self-control and patience and peace and kindness. But verse 9 says we reap eternal life. This includes, uh, from Colossians 3, we, we learn this, an inheritance from the Lord as we lurk, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. It says, work hardly for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. You are serving the Lord Christ. The Lord Christ, the one who is enthroned as king, you're serving him, and he's saying, guess what? I have inheritance for you. Work hard, I've got inheritance for you. It includes rewards, even for giving a cup of cold water to a child, because we want to follow Jesus, according to Matthew 10. That's Jesus' heart toward us. Even if you give a, a child a cold cup of water, because you love me, I tell you, your reward is not going to be lost. I'm going to see that. You pack that one shoebox, <laughs> for instance, I see that. I see your love motivated because of what my son has done for you, and I'm going to reward you. It includes all those spiritual virtues that we already mentioned in Galatians 5, joy, peace, love. When we sow the Spirit, we reap good things, but this isn't because we have merit on our own. Let's not get that mixed up. Okay, this is only possible through Christ's work on the cross. In reality, we have sown to the flesh, have we not? We do so still today. We, we will until we're perfected once we are in heaven. We've sinned against God. We've ignored his commands. But on the cross, after we've sown to the flesh, on the cross, Christ reaps corruption for us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might receive the right, become, rather, the righteousness of God. We've sown to the flesh, he's reaped corruption. And Christ, who sowed perfectly to the Spirit, who obeyed all of God's commands out of a perfect heart of love and of joy, we now reap eternal life because of his perfection. He sowed to the Spirit. We reap eternal life. Christ sowed what we reaped, and we reaped what he sowed. Praise God. That is good news, because if all of it's just left up to us, we have no hope. And now, because we're in Christ by his Spirit, any good deed that we then do will be rewarded by God because of his generosity for eternity. Guys, that's amazing. We might expect Paul at this point to encourage us, right? To say, wow, if there's eternal rewards coming, what do you do with that information? We, we might expect him to say, okay, therefore, do good, right? So to the Spirit. He does do that in verse 10, but before he gets there, he stops and says this in verse 9. Here's a command that comes to his mind. It says, let us not grow weary in doing good. This begs the question, why would we grow weary of doing good? If following the Spirit truly brings eternal life, and all these good things, wouldn't we be just always motivated to do good? Like, golly, this is fantastic, right? Let's go. Why would we ever grow weary of following him and of doing good? Well, here's why. We're tempted to believe the same lie that those who are tempted to believe that God can be mocked are, are tempted to believe, which is that we won't reap what we sow, that, that what we do doesn't 
really matter. Friends, this is a real temptation, is it not? It is, it is easy for us to grow weary of doing good. Why? Because, well, for one, we don't, we don't see the fruit yet often, right? We, we, don't, we don't see all of the, the fruit that seems to be promised for all the good works and all the effort that we're putting in on a daily basis for the sake of Jesus. And we can, we can be tempted to believe that we'll never reap the, reap the rewards for all the hidden sacrifices that we've made. Maybe you've invested spiritually into your children for years, maybe even decades. They're adults now. With the hope that you're going to reap the reward of seeing them know and love Christ. But to date, that's not how things have panned out. Maybe your child seems just ambivalent now about spiritual things. Uh, Perhaps they've distanced uh, themselves from you because of what you believe, or perhaps they've even forsaken the faith altogether. Guys, it's easy to grow weary in doing good. Or maybe there's other spiritual investments you've made. Having your your unbelieving friend over for a meal and and telling them about Jesus. And maybe you've been doing that for years and there seems to be no forward progress. And you're going, am am I doing this in vain? Is this really going to pay off? Maybe you're serving in some hidden capacity, whether it's at work or in the church or at home, and, and you're rarely receiving thanks for the effort and the sacrifice you put in as you seek to be more like Jesus. And you go, is this just all for nothing? Is this just all throwaway? Friends, it is very easy for us to grow weary in doing good. So much so that we may even be tempted to give up altogether. Which is why Paul mentions it. But listen to this truth from verse 9. Paul says this, Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We are Christian. Believe these words. In due season, you will reap. You'll reap fruit for every seed you've sown. You might not see any fruit right now. You are going to reap some fruit for every seed you've sown. Every spiritual investment you make will yield an infinite return of rewards because there is eternity ahead of us. Every unseen act, every heartbroken prayer, every tear that's shed for the sake of Jesus is going to surely reap a reward. It may not be in the manner or the timing that we're hoping for, or that Paul writes, in due season, we will reap. The season may, much, may, may, may be much longer than we want. Not all harvests yield fruit every year. It may take a very long time. But there is a day coming, and that day lasts forever. When we're going to reap a bounty that is proportionally infinitely greater than all that we've sown in this life. As Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's not going to get eaten up. It's going to last. It is sown in dishonor. You might think what you're doing is worth nothing, but it is raised in glory. It's weighty. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Friend, even the smallest act of good done in the Spirit's power will yield an everlasting reward. So don't grow weary. Don't give up. In due season, you will reap. Paul gives one final command to his listeners, and it's this. 
It says, do good. Paul writes this as a summary exhortation in verse 10. It says, so then, with all this in mind, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So what do we do with all this information about sowing and reaping? What do we do when we're aware of the eternal return on our investments as we're seeking to not grow weary and believe God that he really will make good on every one of his promises? He really will. What do we do? We do good. We carry on in joyful, hopeful faithfulness. We, We bless those around us as the Spirit enables us to do good works. Paul says that we do this as we have opportunity. This may be better translated as in the NASB as while we have opportunity. In other words, while we're still on this earth, while we still have time to invest in things that are going to yield an eternal reward, let's do it. Let's invest. Friends, this life on earth, I hadn't thought about this this way until studying this, this, this sermon. This life on earth is an opportunity it's not just something to get through until we reach heaven. Like, endure it, grin and bear it, Jesus is coming, hold on. True, hold on, Jesus is coming, it's all true. But there's an, there's an opportunity right now. It's an opportunity to invest in things that are going to last forever. In my workplace, it's open enrollment time. I don't know if anyone else is in that same season. It's a window of opportunity, right? For a, a fixed window for selecting benefits for the upcoming year. Okay, you have till October 15th to November 1st or whatever. Here's your chance. Select what you want. The window's going to close. And then you're going to get benefits for a year. Guys, this life is, is something like that window of opportunity. We get a chance to get in on the benefits of eternal reward for anything we do, any small act that we do. God says, I want to reward you. Take the opportunity while you have opportunity. Do good. So with the limited opportunity we have on this earth, let's do good. Paul mentions two groups of people to do good to here. The first group is Everyone. It's a big group. <laughs> this means everyone. Uh, that means your church, means your family, uh, your neighbor, your coworker, uh, your gym instructor, uh, the grocery store clerk who is often ignored by everyone who just walks past them, the DMV representative. Ooh, do good to the DMV representative, <laughs> to that awkward person that's really hard to have a conversation with. To the annoying person, it just gets under your nerves, under your skin. To the person who dislikes you and even mistreats you and obviously doesn't want you in their life, do good to them. Do good to everyone because all of that is going to yield a return. And because we're justified by Christ and his righteousness and because we're made alive by the Spirit, we are, we, we are able to do this, not in our own power, okay? By the power of the Spirit, because Christ, who came to rescue his enemies, who literally died so that we, who hated him, might be made alive, we are then given his same Spirit, the same Spirit that enabled him to die for his enemies in love, enables us to do good to others, to everyone, in fact. So we can give of ourselves, knowing that we will be given a return from the Lord, maybe tenfold, maybe a hundredfold, maybe a thousandfold for every small act. But the second group that Paul places a special, a special emphasis on here, he says do good to everyone, but especially to who? The household of faith. 
That encompasses all those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Household is what it sounds like. It's, it's a home of, of a family, right? A household is a family. This is the family of faith. And we see this most visibly in local churches. Note Paul's own example of, of this priority that he has within the letter of Galatians. He writes, he's writing this letter of Galatians to the churches, in verse 1, 1 we learn that, or chapter 1, verse 1, to the churches of Galatia, the assembly, the gathering. That's what that word means. You gather as people who follow Jesus. That's the church. He writes to the churches of Galatians, those who gather to sing and pray and study God's word and have fellowship together. In chapter 4, Paul commends the Galatians for when they welcomed him. Even though he had a bodily ailment, a, a, a disability, they, they didn't despise him. They said, come in, brother. We welcome you. That's, that's caring for the household of faith. And his final words to the Galatians, Paul calls them brothers. That's a familial term. You're my same blood. That's his own spiritual family. We're made that because of Jesus, who calls us brothers. And because of that, we are spiritual brothers and sisters. We get to look out for each other. That's a privilege that we have. It is right for us to give ourselves, especially to doing good to those who are of the household of faith. Jesus describes in Matthew 25 of those on the coming day when the, when the king, Jesus, returns, he, he describes those who did feed welcome, clothe, and visit him, he says this. He says, truly I say to you, you did it, as you did it rather, to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. In other words, when we feed and welcome and clothe and visit Christ's brothers, those he died for, those he came to make his family, when we do it to them, we do it to Christ himself. I think we forget that. When was the last time when you made a pot of soup for your sick <laughs> fellow Christian in the church and you brought it to their house, you literally fed them? You're feeding Jesus. That's how he sees it. it says, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And therefore, come in. I want to reward you for that. I see it. You're trusting that I'm going to reward you. You're not looking to this life. You're trusting in me. And I want to reward that faith. Jesus makes this proclamation about those people, about those who welcomed, clothed, and fed his brothers. He says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's the joy that awaits those who do good to everyone, especially those to the household of faith, because they're alive with the Spirit, placing their faith in Christ and not in their own works. So, brothers and sisters, there awaits for us an eternal everlasting, heavenly kingdom that is full of amazingly good rewards that we can't get our head wrapped around. It's the best return on investment you will ever find anywhere in this universe or any other universe. It's better than the best savings account return. It's better than the best stock option that there is out there. It's better than the best, you know, Bitcoin found the right one in return like 4,000 times what you put in. It's better than that. We're going to inherit an eternal reward from Jesus himself because we have faithfully stuck it out day by day saying, I trust in you, not my own righteousness. I'm going to do the next good thing and I'm going to sow to the Spirit. I'm not going to grow weary. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to try. I'm going to grow weary again, but Lord, I'm going to try to believe you. This is hard. 
there's tears here. I don't think it's worth it. I think I'm just throwing away my time, my money, my energy. Jesus says, no, you're not. I see the end. The far sighted see better things. There are better things waiting for you. So let's not be deceived. Sin will be punished. Let's not grow weary. Good will be rewarded for all who are in Christ. And let us therefore continue on doing good to everyone and especially to, the, to Christ's family. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all the promises uh, in your word that remind us of the eternal blessings that will surely come for all who follow you. Lord, we are, we are so prone, God, to forget these things, so easily nearsighted, Lord, to look toward today or maybe just tomorrow or the day after that or even just this life. But Lord, we need your help to keep our vision on the site of eternity. That lasts a lot longer than this life. Eternal, eternity is very long. It's worth it. And so, Lord, I just pray, if there's anyone here who's not following you, Lord, maybe they look like they're following you, but they're not really placing their trust in you alone and not themselves and not their performance. Lord, if they're not doing that, if they're not living a life of good in the spirit of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would have them heed this warning to, to not continue being deceived, God, that they would instead turn to you, that they would forsake their sins and embrace the eternal life that, that's made available to all of us because of what Christ has done. Lord, I also pray for those who are growing weary today of doing good. I pray you would comfort them, Lord, that you would encourage them, encourage us. Lord, give us fresh faith to believe you, to say, okay, you said it, I'm going to believe it's true when you say that we will indeed reap for all the good works that we've sown by your Spirit. Lord, I pray you would strengthen us. Lord, deliver us from even the temptation to give up. Lord, give us joy, I pray, as we seek to walk in the Spirit. And Lord, we ask that you would do all these things because of your goodness. Amen. Let's stand and sing our spots.